Last Sunday, we celebrated All Saints Sunday. Our focus was on all those who had gone before us, and it was a beautiful celebration. But what about us? What about you? Do you believe in the communion of saints, life everlasting, and the resurrection? Probably most of us, if not all of us, have experienced loss in our lives, loved ones who are no longer with us. And we say we believe every Sunday that we look forward to eternal life and the resurrection of the dead. We say it, but do we really mean it? Do we really believe it? And what exactly does that mean for us? In the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus is approached by a group of Sadducees. The Sadducees were an interesting group of the Jewish elite. They were priests in the temple, but unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They also only held that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were the only books of scripture, discounting all the prophets and all the Psalms. This group of Sadducees knew that Jesus preached about the resurrection, and so they go to him, either to test Jesus or maybe to settle some dispute amongst themselves, and they question him. They do this by referencing their go-to text on the subject, from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, and I'll quote it. When brothers reside together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her, taking her in marriage, and performing the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the deceased brother, so that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So with this in mind, they ask Jesus, what happens if a woman marries a man? They have no children, and the man dies. So then she marries her husband's brother. They have no children, he dies, and so on and so on until she's married all seven brothers. They've all died, there are no children, but then the woman dies also. It's like a riddle. When they all end up in heaven at the resurrection, Jesus, who will the woman actually be married to? But to fully understand what this riddle implies, we have to stop and take a little time to understand what marriage actually was in these biblical times. We hear a lot of talk, especially in America, about what it means to have a biblical marriage and even biblical family values. We have to be careful when you hear this because what family in the Bible is being referenced? Cain and Abel? Jacob and Esau? David and Absalom? Some of the families in the Bible didn't exactly have a stellar set of values worth modeling. <laughs> and it's also important to remember that throughout biblical history, up to the point we find ourselves in this gospel reading, that marriage was little more than a means of attaching a stable social structure to ensure the propagation of the human race. And while we're talking about it, marriage at this time was certainly not limited to just one man and one woman. For a man to have more than one wife, 
meant that there were that many more chances to carry on his name throughout all time. Just think about it. Jacob had at least three children from two wives and two maidservants. Solomon didn't waste any time. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines. That's one way to build a nation. <laughs> but thankfully, the church has come a long way in our understanding of marriage. And our focus has shifted correctly to marriage as the model of the selfless relationship that Christ has for his church. It is no longer seen as just a contractual transaction solely for the procreation of children. But the problem comes for the Sadducees when they try to imagine one woman with seven husbands instead of the other way around. Women were considered to be property of the husband. And the idea of seven husbands in the resurrection arguing over whose property the wife was was a ridiculous thing to think about. That's exactly what they were trying to do, to show Jesus that the idea of the resurrection was ridiculous. How do property rights work in the afterlife? But Jesus says that people neither marry or are they given in marriage because there is not any death in the resurrection. If there is no death, then there's no reason to marry and replenish the human race. And no one will be given in marriage because the woman will no longer be the property to anyone else in God's kingdom. If you stop and think about it, in the resurrection, we will be with God, face to face, basking in the love God has for us for all eternity. Is there really any other relationship that we'll be concerned with at that point? I tend to think not. My favorite part of the reading this morning comes at the end, when Jesus justifies the resurrection by referencing the Sadducees' own sacred scripture. He enlightens them by using perhaps one of the most familiar stories that nearly every Jew would recognize at the time. Jesus tells of Moses meeting God in the form of the burning bush from Exodus. And God identifies God's self by saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You see, Jesus says, God is God of the living, not of the dead. God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was. Because to God, they're all still alive, even though they have been long dead for centuries. They are living into the resurrection even now. We are people of the resurrection. Without Jesus' resurrection from the dead, opening the gates of eternal life to all, we would have little else to celebrate here other than a very selfless act that one person did at one particular time in history. Everything about Jesus hinges on his incarnation at Christmas, his death on Good Friday, and his resurrection at Easter. You can't just have one without all the others. And we are living into that resurrection life now. Jesus is raised. Christ is risen. Thanks be to God. <laughs>